ION 2020 episode 127. Have 2020 vision with ION 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of ION 2020, your source for the news-related events and the things that are going on with these candidates and the debates that have been going on for the last couple of nights. I appreciate you coming out and joining me. I am still alive. That's right. Still alive. Watching several debates over the last couple of nights, and it is painful. You guys know it. I felt like stabbing my eyes out. I felt like popping my eardrums because of all the promises made. And the promise, you know, the pandering that's going on among these candidates for the last two nights, it just drives me crazy. But before I jump into today's debate, I wanted to give you guys an update from the previous night's debate, which was the one with Tulsi Gabbard in it, uh, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, and so forth. But first, go ahead, if you can, subscribe to the show so you can hear what, hear what I have to say tomorrow as well. And then also, you can go ahead and give me a five-star rating and review if you really like what you hear. That's always helpful for the algorithms. Uh, so come on back and keep on listening by subscribing and give me that five-star rating and review. If you haven't done it already, I would really appreciate a five-star rating. And the reason why I say that is because I do have people that come on and listen to the show that are not as libertarian-leaning as we all are, you know. And having that five-star rating will help me out just in the event that one of those people just pushes the one star because I talked bad about their candidate or something like that. Uh, Yeah, as petty as that may sound, people do that, and I would just hate for that to happen, right? So if you give me that five-star rating, that'll help me out. It'll give me a little bit of insurance just in case that happens. But yeah, a little bit of wrap-up from the the, the previous night's debate. Everything was being talked about earlier, early in the morning the next day about who won the debate and so forth. Um... I had said that I thought that Cory Booker was a clear winner in the sense that he was the one that the Dem... Not a clear winner from my standpoint, because I cannot take it from my standpoint. I'm a libertarian. I'm looking at the candidates in kind of an objective way and trying to think about which candidate won in the sense of the... the, From the Democratic perspective, what those people will be thinking is they're clearly looking for someone that's going to beat Donald Trump and so forth. You guys know all the questions that that I'm looking at when I'm looking at these candidates, right? That's Just go back to the previous show and you'll know exactly what the questions were. But one of the main one is, ones is, can they stand out from Donald Trump? Can they beat Donald Trump? Can they stand up to him, right? And I thought that Cory Booker was that person. He was the one that seemed like he could stand up to Donald Trump. And during the debate, he was the highest searched person on Google during that time. So I think it was before the before the debate, it was Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, and then like a few others. I think Tulsi Gabbard was in there in the third or fourth category. Those were the most searched people before the debate. During the debate, it was Cory Booker. So obviously he struck a chord with people that were looking at him, and specifically in the South. If you look at the map of Google, it was like, you know, from North Carolina to Florida, 
over to Arkansas and so forth. So I think that it was probably a lot of people in the South that had no idea who this guy really was. Um, Democrats, maybe African Americans in the South started looking at this guy and saying, holy cow, look at him. He you know, knows what he's talking about. He's someone that can beat Donald Trump and so forth. That's what they're thinking in their minds. So he was the highest searched person on Google during the debates. But then after the debates, it was Tulsi Gabbard by far. If you look at the United States map of Google, it was like she took almost all the states as the highest searched person on Google, except for in the Southeast where it was Cory Booker. So it was Tulsi Gabbard, Cory Booker, and then Elizabeth Warren was third in the most searched people. Also, if you look at a lot of the post-debate polls that were done, and these are non-scientific polls, these are just people clicking online and so forth, but you see that Tulsi Gabbard won a bunch of those hands down. And I think that even on uh, the Drudge Report, they did a poll and Tulsi Gabbard was like, you know, 40%. Elizabeth Warren was far behind her at 13%. So she's really making an impact. She's making a splash on these debates. Now, you do not hear about this, though, on the mainstream media. It's really hard to find a lot about her. And it seems like they're ignoring her similar to the way that they ignored Ron Paul in 2008 and 2012 because the establishment obviously does not want an anti-war candidate. And she definitely is the person that went that route during this debate. So guys, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the post-debate show as well and let you guys know how I feel about the candidates from tonight's debate uh, since I am recording this in the evening time after the second debate. So we're going to look at the second debate now, okay? Um, while you got a second, though, if you haven't subscribed to the show, go ahead and do it. And uh, if you want to go ahead and send me an email, you can let me know a little some thoughts that you have over about these candidates, right? Let me know some thoughts that you have about the candidates. And if you tell me your stories, things that you're doing for libertarianism and so forth, just let me know and I will go ahead and uh, share your story on the show as well. The last minute of the show will always be yours. If you let me know things that you're doing for libertarianism, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a uh, website, whether you're writing stories for different articles and journals and so forth, I would love to hear about it. So I always make that, you know, if you email me ray at iontheempire.com, you can definitely do that as well. Um, And if you want to, you can support the show as well. And you can do that at anchor.fm slash iontheempire. There you can support the show with a $2.99, $4.99, or $9.99 donation, as well as you can leave me a voice message. And that's a great way to let me hear what you have to say about the show. And if you tell me a story, leave it to about one minute. If you share your story, I'll give you the last minute of my show as well. So let's jump into this debate. Okay, guys, so the first thing I want to do is refer you guys back to the uh, the questions that I think that Democrats are going to be asking themselves when they're watching this debate. Because when I was watching this debate, I'm looking at it from a libertarian perspective, but you have to look at it from what the other people are going to be thinking, in my mind, uh, what Democrats are going to be thinking. So what what are they thinking when they're watching the debate? Who's going to stand up to Trump? Who's going to be able to beat Trump, right? Those are the two things that they really want. They want someone that can beat Trump. They want someone that can stand up to Trump. And they're looking for someone that's going to be confident in the midst of standing up to Trump. Uh, who knows their stuff, who seems that they're well, well-versed, well-rehearsed, comes natural to them as well. Uh, who's the best on gun laws? Who's the best on health care? Who's the best in the economy, right? Health care is the number one issue 
or you know, the number one issue that Democrats are looking at. But who's going to beat Trump is kind of like what's on their mind. And here's my recap of the entire debate. There was nobody that really dif- differentiated themselves among the pack of 10 people that were on that debate stage. So I didn't really see too much differentiation at all. Uh, I thought Pete Buttigieg would be really good on the, you know, really good on the debate stage that he'd be well versed and all that. And he was, but I don't think that he stood out as somebody that was better than the rest. Neither did I think that Joe Biden stood out as anyone that's better than the rest, but he did, he did talk a lot about his past experience in the Obama administration and what he did and what they did together and so forth. So he's running on that record and he's able to run on that record because a lot of Democrats really love what Barack Obama did along with Joe Biden. So he's able to. Uh, The one person I thought that stood out the most who seemed passionate about her views was Kamala Harris. She is the senator from California and she's very well versed in what she was saying. She says a lot of the stuff that she says with passion as well. She had a ton of fans in the audience. I mean, every time she spoke, these people just cheered and clapped and everything else. Uh, So she had a lot of fans in the audience. And I don't know if she was able to bring them with her or what, but they, they loved this lady. And it seemed to me when I'm looking at Kamala Harris as well, is that she seems like she's the chosen one by NBC. They gave her a lot of time on the stage Whenever she was speaking, they never interrupted her. And when they finally did try to interrupt her, it was very timidly. And it allowed her to get a little bit lo- a little bit louder when she spoke in order to make it sound like she's more passionate about her ideas as well. Uh, so th- she's the one that kind of stood out to me as the one that seems like she might have won the debate in the sense that from that perspective, who can stand up to Trump? Who can beat Trump? Though She's the one that seemed like that she was the best at that. But also, I mean, Joe Biden, you know, he has a record to run on that Democrats like, and he's going to be able to stand up to Trump as well in some way. I don't think that he's going to be able to fend it off. He's very political. He knows how to just dodge the question and go straight to the straight to the answer that he wants to give and so forth. Um, so those are the two that I think that kind of won the debate in that sense. I don't think that anyone else really stood out, though. I'm trying to, you know, I'm just rethinking about, I'm just thinking about all this stuff. And so here's like, here's the people that were in the debate. You had Michael Bennett, you had Eric Swalwell, uh, Michael Bennett's from the Senator from, from uh, Colorado. Eric Swalwell is the Congressman from California, young guy. You had Andrew Yang, Kirsten Gillibrand, and then you had Mariana, Marianne Williamson. You had John Hickenlooper. You had Kamala Harris, you had Pete Buttigieg, you had Joe Biden, and you had Bernie Sanders, and that was it. Now, Bernie, he was right back to his old self, obviously, right? That's who he is. He says the same thing over and over again. You guys know how I feel about him. He's going to say the top 1% and the top, you know, top 10% and the top this and the top that, and, you know, he's talking about taken from the rich and given to the poor and so forth. I mean, that's just all he talks about. And he's very much, even when they ask him a question and he kind of like seems like he forgot what the question was, he just goes right back to the richest country in the world with the top 1% making more money than the bottom 70%. You need to da 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 da. Like that's how he is. Even, you know, like I said, even when he seems like he forgets what he said. So those are the people that were in the debate though. And I, like I said, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris seems like they kind of stood out to me. 
Bernie Sanders, his supporters are going to continue to be his supporters. They will turn away from him, though, if somebody else that is just as progressive, just as democratic socialist, if somebody makes their points like that, then they will turn away from him because he's old guard now in that sense. And there's a lot of people running against him. I mean, there's 20 people running against him. So somebody just has to make a case that there is just as progressive, but they can beat Donald Trump. Now, they did bring that up to Bernie Sanders during the debate. He said, in all of the, I've seen many polls where I'm winning against Donald Trump head to head. So uh, not much to worry about there. Here's my over, overview of Joe Biden. Uh, seemed confident, running on his old school, you know, as an old school politician, uh, you know, but he keeps, he's referring back, he's running on, on his time in the White House with Obama. And it's a record that he can run on. Bernie Sanders, same, same old, same old stuff that you always hear from him. Uh, Kamala Harris, she stood out as a very, she's very progressive. That was something I noticed about her as well. Uh, but subtly, she doesn't come off that way. She comes off like kind of like a hard-nosed prosecutor, to be honest with you. And that's what she is. She's a prosecutor. But she's for the Green New Deal. She's for a forced Medicare for all. Like not just Medicare for all if you want it. But that's how she is. Um... So yeah, and then you have Pete Buttigieg. He came off to me, I mean, he spoke Spanish right in the beginning. He came off to me as someone that knows what he's talking about. Uh, he's very well rehearsed on those things as well. But this is something funny that I kind of put in my notes. He uses those hypnotizing, ter hypnotizing terms. So what I mean by that, and this is very serious, and make sure you listen closely. So those are like the, t the terms that I was saying. So this is very serious. And then he goes on and expounds about his point. And then he says, now listen very closely. And then he says, then he always uses like the first, second, and third. So like he'll say first, and then he'll go on second, and then he'll go on third. So there's like hypnotizing terms. Those are ways that people use to manipulate people in their thought process to get them to think, to get them to listen closer but also in order to make them think that they are being told something that is factual and he keeps on saying like he says the reality is a lot of times so he's very well rehearsed that's pete Buttigieg. marianne williamson you guys have never heard of her unless you listened to my show two days ago episode 125 uh but she is an author and she seemed very confused on stage she's obviously not a politician but she was ignored for the first half hour she was the only person that didn't speak for the first half hour. Finally, at about hour or minute 30, they finally got to her. But she's there to sell books, you can tell. She seems confused on stage, and she just goes off topic every time when they start talking to her. So they'll ask her a question about immigration reform, and she'll go to start talking about Medicare for all, and we need to fix the health system. And one of the things I thought was really funny about her is she says, we don't need to, we we have a health crisis in America, but we have a, the thing is, is we need to address the reason why people are sick. We need to, you know, and it sounded like she was trying to force people to eat healthy and so forth. Like the federal government is really going to have the ability to do that. But you know what? People in this world, for some reason nowadays, they think that you just got to pass a law and everything will be fine. John Hickenlooper, the governor from Colorado, he is the guy that's running an extreme moderate campaign. He's pretty much stayed moderate the whole time, but he wasn't really talk. He didn't really talk that much either. He didn't have a lot of questions directed at him, um, but he was basically running on his record in Colorado, fixing climate change there, 
legalizing marijuana and so forth. Um, he talked about the progressive things that he has done in that state and things that he was able to get done in that state, and then he could bring that to Washington. So he's trying to run as a traditional governor would, which is running on your record, right, and not running an ideological campaign. But he did not come off in this debate as somebody that is going to get very far to me. Mariana Williamson, obviously, I don't think she's going to go very far either. She'll be dropping out. She's just there to sell books, though, like I said. Uh, Andrew Yang, he was like the, the smart college kid on stage that kind of like knew the facts and knew some issues and stuff like that. He talked about his freedom dividend. You know what that is. Um, I think he's looking for a cabinet seat, to be honest with you, because he has the issue that he's talking about, which is, you know, automation is going to happen. We need to, you know, America needs to be ready for the 21st century and all that stuff, right? So... Uh, but he's just looking for a Senate or for a cabinet seat of some sort. I could guarantee it. I did had very little speaking time and he does not seem passionate when he speaks either. He's just, you know, the, the brilliant smart kid that, you know, you cheated off of in high school, pretty much. That's who he seems like he was to me. Michael Bennett. He, he you know what I thought about Michael Bennett? He's the Senator from Colorado. He sounded like, I don't know if you guys remember Ferris Bueller's day off. Some of you guys might be too young, but I mean, that's an, that's an old movie, but, uh, people listen to it or people watch that sh movie still. I mean, it's on TV pretty regularly, but you remember Ferris Bueller's day off. He had that goofy friend and he was, uh, that when they called into the school to try to get, uh, his sister out of the school. So Ferris could have his girlfriend there and he's like, Mr. Rooney, Mr. Rooney. Right. Do you remember that? You must remember that particular part. Well, Michael Bennett sounds just like that kid did in that movie when he's trying to mock his father. It was the funniest thing. I'm sure there's many memes about it. And if not, I'm going to have to make my own meme about it. But it was just absolutely hilarious. Listen, every time I'm listening to him think, speaking, I'm just thinking to myself, Mr. Rooney. So anyway, that's what I thought. He has a weird voice. He has a weird smile. He's kind of, you know, he's definitely not presidential whatsoever. He sounded like a babbling idiot, idiot, to be honest with you. That's, what I, that's one of the things that I wrote about him when he talked. Every time he said anything, you know, he just sounded like he was a babbling idiot. He didn't seem very passionate. But when he did get passionate on immigration, it just came off as plain out weird. So that's Michael Bennett. Then you had Eric Swalwell, which his big issue, to be honest with you guys, is mandatory buyback on assault weapons. So the government's going to pass a law that you have to sell your gun back to the government that the government is going to force you to sell your assault weapon back to them. He says, so you could keep your shotguns, you could keep your handguns, but assault weapons are gone. So that means your 22 rifle that has a semi-automatic clip in it is taken away from you, essentially, because there, there's no really definition of what an assault weapon is, per se. But that's his big issue. But Eric Swallow is not going anywhere. He's a California Democrat, uh, a congressman. And he just sounded, I mean, he had to, basically they didn't give him any time whatsoever. And the only time he really got in there was when he broke in. But he just sounded like an idiot when he was trying to talk. He didn't really know his issues very well to me. Um, he kept on saying this, and this was really hilarious because his biggest thing is he's, he keeps saying, we need to pass the torch. Really, he really wants that torch to be passed is what it sounds like to me. And he's directing that directly at Joe Biden. He's directing that at the Elizabeth Warrens that are out there, all the older guard, he's directing it at them. But he kept on saying that. Like, he started yelling it out in the middle of when Bernie Sanders was talking. We need to pass the torch. I mean, it was just hilarious listening to him, you know, scream that stuff out. But 
he's not going to be going away. I mean, he's going to be gone. Eric Swalwell's going to be gone. Michael Bennett's going to be gone. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Gillibrand, I mean, so Kirsten Gillibrand, I need to pronounce that right because people get mad at me for that. Um, she didn't seem very passionate to me when she was talking. Uh, she talked about greed versus capitalism. We need to get rid of the greed, but we need to keep the capitalism. Um, and then, you know, put private insurance out of business. So she actually, interesting, but I mean, it's the truth. She wants to give the Medicare for all idea, and that's going to force the private insurance companies to compete against the government. And ultimately, she wants the government to put the private insurance companies out of business. So to me, I mean, what is that more than just fascism in that sense, right? In my mind, where the government's going to kind of collude with the, I don't know, I guess it's setting up a competing business and it will cause uh, crowding out effect. But she actually admitted it. She didn't say, oh, we just want to create a private insurance company or a public insurance company that's going to, you know, compete with the private or private institutions. She said you know, she wants that crowding out effect to happen, and she says that it will. So that was interesting to me. She actually admitted that, and mostly, most Democrats don't want to admit stuff like that, usually, uh, in my opinion. But those are all the candidates, and that's kind of how I felt about them in particular. The, if you hear uh, papers shuffling, it's just because I'm going through all of my notes to make sure I cover everything. But that though, that was the main thing about the candidates that I noticed. They've covered health care, immigration, race relations with the police, uh, bipartisanship in the Congress. Uh, basically, all of them think that you can't get anything done in Congress, need single-party rule. Both parties believe in that. Republicans, Democrats, they want single-party rule. Uh, they that, That's how they feel like they, sh- they can get things done. Otherwise, they don't get anything done, which I think actually, um, you know how I feel about this. I think that it's very important that you have a mixed Congress and mixed you know, presidency and so forth. And the reason why is because you don't want much to get done. Because every time they pass a law, it's more freedoms taken away from you. But these, these Democrats, they, th- they know that the only way they get all their stuff done is if there is a Senate, a, co- a House, a Senate, and a presidency that's Democratic. And it's going to be very hard to get anything done otherwise. They all know that. Okay, so they talk about Roe versus Wade, climate change, and guns. The biggest thing that I realized that they did not talk about at all was the economy. They didn't even mention it. Nothing on the economy and nothing on foreign, you know, foreign wars or anything. Foreign policy was not brought up whatsoever. It actually blew my mind that they didn't talk about that at all. And it was mentioned one time by uh, the author Marianne, right? It was mentioned one time by her, but I mean, other than that, it never came up at all. And it's just, to me, why wouldn't you bring up foreign policy in a debate like that when there's a lot of things that are going on in the foreign policy arena that these politics, I mean, that these Democrats can run on? I mean, look what, look what Donald Trump is doing all over the world right now in some ways, right, with Iran and so forth. But overall, I mean, I think that with Donald Trump and his policy of non-intervention in some way, right, the slight leaning towards non-intervention, the slight leaning towards pulling out of some of these wars, I think that it's hard for them to run on that. And I just don't think that they care, to be honest with you. I don't think that the Democrats even care about foreign policy because all they want is the free stuff. That's it. All they want is the free stuff. And here's the free stuff that they were talking about giving you guys. 
listen up because it's very important because you're going to have all kinds of free goodies if you vote for the Democrats. Ready? Free college. No interest on debt for college. Free child care. Free medical care. Free medical care for undocumented immigrants. Uh, Male. Uh, they want to make 11 million uh, illegal citizens, illegal immigrant citizens. They want to make the government control. They want to have the government control drug prices. They want DACA protection for the dreamers and the parents and the extended family. They want to fix problems in Honduras and Nicaragua. So similar to what I, they were talking about last night as well. Uh, they want reparations, rotate Supreme Court judges out and put new ones in. They're talking about some of them even talked about, you know, stacking the court with, you know, a bunch of liberal judges. Uh, they, they want the Green New Deal. They're going to promise you the carbon tax. They want full electric cars by 2040. Uh, we're going to create millions of jobs. We're going to create millions of jobs. So the government somehow is going to create millions of jobs. Yep. We're going to end gun violence. This is a very subjective term as well. How do you end gun violence? Uh, one person brought up 40 million or 40,000 people will die from gun violence every single year. Most of those are suicides. I think it's like over 50% of those are suicides. Uh, a lot of them are cops shooting people. And a lot of those, I mean, that's just 40,000 people that die from guns, but it's not all, I mean, that doesn't take into account the violence part of it, right? So, okay, we got tax cuts for working families, which I'm okay with tax cuts, so we'll, we'll go with that. I just don't know how they're gonna, how they're going to plan to make that happen. Uh, mandatory buyback of assault weapons. We're going to ban importation of assault weapons. And, they, and then Joe Biden and a few others will agree with this. Biometric safety on all guns, no matter what, if they're sold, they have to have a biometric safety on them, which I think, I don't know. I just think, so when you listen to these people talk, I mean, it's just promise after promise after promise. There was never any talk about like how it's going to be paid for. There was never any talk about the fact that this country is broke. They never talked about that at all. Um, they just, they're just kind of like the people that are hanging out, talking about all this free stuff that they want and just dreaming when in reality they're homeless and they don't even have a car or anything and they don't even have food. You know, they're like the people that's hanging on the street, you know, that, that do some panhandling and stuff like that, talking about how great things are going to be and they're going to have all this stuff when they're not going to have nothing of this stuff because it, first of all, how are you going to pay for it? Second of all, um, it's not going to get through Congress in the first place. But I don't know. I mean, I, I can't, you guys know this. I can't stand listening to these people talk because all they do is they want to promise, promise, promise all this stuff, this pie-in-the-sky ideas, and it just blows my mind that nobody calls them out on any of the facts that the country's broke. You know, that that's all it is. That's all there is to it. Um, lots of them did beat up Bernie Sanders during the, during the debate. Uh, the younger people were talking about how we need a new guard. They need to pass the torch. Uh, they were talking about beating up Bernie Sanders in some way for being a little bit too progressive, it seemed like to me. Um, Kamala, Kamala Harris wanted to beat up on uh, Joe Biden as well for supposedly being okay with people that were segregationists or something. I mean, I think that they are way overreacting to that. They're just trying to make that a political issue to make him seem like he's bad. She was all passionate about it and stuff, but I think that she knows how to fake passion. That's what it seems like to me. Um, 
it seemed like a love fest in some way for a lot of these people as well. Like none of them differentiated themselves. All of them in some way believe in Medicare for all. It's just how extreme they want to be on that issue. All of them believe in like a carbon tax. All of them believe in you know, the government controlling the economy when it comes to green energy and so forth. Like they're all in unison on like college, free college tuition. They're all in unison on these things. It's just how extreme they want to take it. Nobody differentiates themselves whatsoever on that stage. And to me, that is just, I mean, you're, all you're doing is picking who you think is the cutest at that point, who you think is the most confident, who you think is going to beat Donald Trump. That's it. It's very subjective issues, very low, like very, you know, non-idealistic issues that you're choosing these people on rather than who agrees with me on, you know, economic issues and so forth. Um, Republicans are just as bad as that as well. So I'm not just beating up on the Democrats because it's usually most of everybody is the same. Then there's one person on stage like a Ron Paul who differentiates themselves from the pack or the one person on stage last night that differentiated themselves slightly, which was Tulsi Gabbard because of her anti-war stance and so forth. Uh, but very few people, I mean, all of them, it's just kind of like a love fest. They all agree with each other and they think that the the federal government needs to do more to help the working class people and everything else a lot of them did say that the economy is not working for the average person just like they said last night i think that's like the standard pitch that these people have but in in wrap up let me wrap up real fast uh camilla harris seems like she was the most confident person on that stage she kind of took control a, a bunch of different times joe biden strong candidate still i don't think that he's going anywhere um he's gonna i think he probably benefited slightly from this debate because he did look like the more reasonable voice on stage he looked like the middle ground guy he was able to promise those things he was able to bring people back to the idea that hey let's get back to the way things were under obama because it was great back then don't you remember how wonderful it was right and uh everyone else i mean eh, you know i Neither here nor there on them. I mean, there's a few that, I, like I said, that are going get, to get out of there. But my biggest problem is that there was no talk of foreign policy, no talk of the economy whatsoever. And all they wanted to do is talk about how many things that they could give the American people to get them more dependent upon their government. So let me, wrap, let me close with this, guys. We need, as libertarians, to focus ourselves in educating people so that you don't have 20 people over two nights that have so many promises and then people somehow believe that those promises are going to happen, that they are willing to listen to these candidates and treat them with respect over the fact that they're looking to confiscate more wealth from people, create more laws against people in order to get their will done. That's our fault for believing those things as Americans, right? That's our fault for letting it get to that point. So we're the few. We are the libertarians. We're the few that believe in liberty, that believe in non-aggression, that believe that the government should not be aggressive against its people by confiscating wealth, by confiscating your time, by forcing, pe forcing their laws on people. We're the ones that believe in those things. And we have a message that can resonate. So what we need to do on a daily basis is get out there and start educating people in this because this is a multi-generational thing that we are doing and that is bringing more liberty to the masses. It's been forgotten. That tree of liberty has not been watered in a long time, it seems like to me. And the reason why we know that is because of the way that these candidates go to market with their ideas.
That's why we know that that tree of liberty has not been watered in a long time. And when 50% of the people are going to vote for a Democrat, or 50% of the voters, I guess, are going to vote for a Democrat that's promising all these things, and or another Republican that's promising more stuff as well, then we've lost our way. And it's our job to start getting us back on track. And how do we do that? How can we do that? We need to start educating people. We need to start forming coalitions of libertarians that are going to get in there and start taking over small seats in this group and that group. I mean, Tom Woods had a great show the other day with a gentleman from the um, Black Guns Matter movement, and he's trying to run for a seat in a you know a city council member seat in Philadelphia, and he can win that seat if he you know te- you know he if he really proves himself right, if he can expound upon these issues, if he can get out there and get people to vote for him, and then he can be a libertarian in a city council seat that's going to move him into a, his goal is to get into a mayor's seat, and then move on from there. Like, we can start making that stuff happen for a lot of people as well. Maybe you're not the charismatic leader. Maybe you're not the person that's going to get out there and, you know, educate the masses, but you can support those people. There's lots of things that we can do. Find your niche. Find your thing that you can do. Like Ron Paul said, just do something. And I'm going to leave it with leave you guys with that, okay? Uh, go ahead, if you can, subscribe to the show. Leave me a five-star rating or review if you really like what you hear. Uh, and then also check me out, iontheempire.com. I on the Empire is also uh, my Twitter and my Facebook and my Minds now. So you can check me out there. And then if you would like, you can go ahead and support the show, anchor.fm slash Eye on the Empire. You can support the show and also send me a one-minute or so um, voice message if you want. That would be great, and I'll play those on the show. And if you want me to tell your story on the show, I can do that as well. Uh, just email me, ray at eyeontheempire.com. I'll talk about your story. I'll talk about your blog. I'll talk about your webpage, whatever it is that you're doing that's moving liberty forward. All right, guys? But then come on back on Monday. And you'll have clear vision for 2020.